The Once and Future Nerd Book One Princes of Jordan Chapter Two Life in a Corner Episode Two It was now early afternoon, and our party found themselves in the fields of the Briarhelm farm. For the first time in quite a while, nobody present was actively attempting to slaughter our heroes. As such, the group took the opportunity to relax in the cool afternoon sunlight. Billy and Jen walked away from the group to engage in more private conversation. I'm sorry I was bitchy to you before. It's all right. But I'm the only one who's always got your back, so just watch your temper, you know? I know. I know. I'll, um, make it up to you later. Jen leaned in to kiss Billy. But just as their private conversation was about to become a good deal more private and less conversational, Nelson ran to catch up with them. Hey, guys, so I'm starting to think... Nelson, shut the fuck up! I'm talking to my girl. Jen quickly took a step away from Billy, using the excuse of looking through her handbag. She found a device known as an iPhone. Oh, no shit, honey. Your phone still works? It's still got a charge, but I can't get any kind of signal. So Apple Maps will be pretty useless here, huh? Yeah. At least that's one thing that's like home. Meanwhile, back at Castle Guernatal, Arlene Redmore was preparing for a formal evening of court functions. As was common for the highborn of Jordan, this preparation was accomplished with the assistance of her handmaiden, Gwen. Ardell Redmore burst into the room without warning or regard for his sister's state of relative undress and with a scroll in hand. By this point in our story, it probably does not surprise you that Ardell wasted no breath on greetings or pleasantries with his dear sister. Read this story to your wench. You, you are to memorize this story as though it were your own dream. Tonight, the two of you will wake the bishop and she will recount the dream to him. Brother, she's not trained as a thespian. I'm sure she can manage one story. You'd be very well advised to see that she does. And without another word, Ardell turned and left the room, leaving the two women to ponder on the oddity of this request. Back at the farm, the party had its first opportunity to take in the beauty of the Yordic autumn. Unfortunately, they were interrupted by Brennan. He returned from the house with a large, heavy bundle, which he dropped on the ground at Jen and Billy's feet. Everyone listen. We need to stay here a few days, and I want to take the chance to teach you young ones the basics of armed combat, in case you need to defend yourselves. You know, if we just looked for a way to get us home, no one would have to teach us anything. Are those real swords? They're blunted, but before you start swinging them at each other, let's have a demonstration of experienced fighters. Kaltir. Gladly. Regan. Huh? Would you like to spar with Yellowine? (laughs) My mom says it'll make you blind. Spa? A pretend fight. Is there any actual thing in it for me? 
may I have a word in private? Not to be a stickler for tradition, but shouldn't you be calling me your highness? Would you please excuse us for a moment, children? No more of this sending us away while the grown-ups talk shit. Say what you want. <sighs> if we all had to fight, how do you think our young companions would fare? I'd say almost as well as some boiled horse shit. Hey, fuck that, really? I... I hope you want to be insulted, but I cannot very much argue. No, it's true. We all need to level up a bunch. My primary mission is to bring you back to claim the throne. But I've also been ordered to keep them safe, which at the moment means keeping them near us. Which means if there's a fight, they'll be fighting alongside you. Is that negotiable? No. So it is in your interest to concern yourself with their training. Regan carefully studied the children for a moment. To her disgust, she reached the same conclusion as Brennan. With a sigh, she reluctantly stood and walked to face Yillowin. Give it your best shot, Splinterpole. With the arrogance that only an adolescent elf could muster, Yillowin charged head-on towards the rogue. Regan stood unflinching, almost lazily in the elf's path. But at the final possible moment, with unbelievable quickness, she nimbly stepped aside, grabbed Yellowin by the shoulder and waist, and used his own speed to throw him to the ground. The elf hit the ground, hard. Weenie, you just got your ass handed to you by a girl. You're rooting for her? Don't tell me you're rooting for Weenie. In an instant, Yellowin was back on his feet. This time, he studied his opponent for a moment before charging. His approach appeared identical, only this time, when Regan went for the same grapple, her hands grasped empty air. A cat-like dodge allowed Yellowin to evade Regan's grab and set the rogue off balance. A sharp, open-handed blow to the sternum put the thief queen of Armstrongard on her back. Yilluin turned his back to his fallen opponent, a smirk on his face, and addressed the children. Now you see, proper training and good breeding will always win out in the end. The general and I can provide the former. As for the latter... Yilluin's pontificating was interrupted by his sudden reacquaintance with the rocky ground. <laughs> While he had been busy describing his victory, Regan tripped her opponent, pinned him to the ground, and unsheathed his hunting knife, all in one adept motion. Regan's right hand grabbed a handful of Yellowin's hair and used it to yank his head uncomfortably. Her left hand brought the knife to Yellowin's throat, also uncomfortable. Yield. Fine. What was that? I yield. Rule number two for surviving a fight to the death. No fucking speeches. If you absolutely must make a speech, wait until you're sure the other guy is done. What's rule number one? Only now did Regan release her captive elf. Try that again, you silt suck. Let me. As mad as Yellowin was, one look at Brennan quieted him. Brennan stood in front of Regan and slowly stretched his neck left, then right. He cracked his knuckles loudly and then slowly reached for his battle axe. Let's dance, Grandpa. You never said what rule number one was. Nelson's question was ignored as the two combatants squared off for the fight. Each stared menacingly at the other. 
Regan shifted her weight from side to side, as if looking for an opening. Brennan stood still as a statue, looking as imposing and immovable as a mountain. The children, although they did not realize it, had been holding their breath for an interminable moment. Suddenly, Regan looked beyond Brennan, off towards the horizon. Her face showed surprise and worry. I think the lessons are going to have to wait. What Regan had seen was an opportunity to kick Brennan, as Billy would later go on to describe it, and I quote, square in the nuts. She delivered the kick as soon as Brennan had turned his back. Just like the elf before him, the big man hit the ground hard and soon had Regan's knife at his throat. Yield, you cheating mongrel. Rule number one for surviving a fight to the death. Don't expect your enemy to follow any rules. He'll do anything to stay alive, so should you. Her lessons imparted, Regan finally released Brennan. He immediately fell to his side and vomited profusely. <laughs> Regan threw down Yellowin's blade and calmly strode back towards the barn, leaving the children to reflect on the outcome of the bout. In fact, the adults partook in some reflection as well. Fighting without honor leads to a disordered soul. I'll take that over a disordered nutsack. She may win fights, but she'll never know peace. Dishonor also sows distrust among allies, and that has lost many a battle. Having no principles makes it easier to preserve your life, but impossible to know if your life is worth preserving. We'll resume training tomorrow. I'll make you some ice. It was horrible, your eminence. The tabernacle was a sanctuary within Castle Guernatal, devoted to the worship of Galadon. It was the most beautiful bird I'd ever seen. But then the man with the golden circle on his head, he, uh, he bit his poor little head right off. The room was extravagantly adorned. Sun shone through the large stained glass windows, casting concentric circles of light onto the floor. These circles overlapped with the circles of gold inlaid into the marble floors and walls. Of all the beautiful rooms in Castle Guernatal, I'm told that this one was the favorite of the late Prince Uther. Presently, however, it was occupied by Arlene, Gwen, and the ancient head priest. When I remembered General Brennan's dream, I hope I haven't wasted your time, Your Eminence. Of course not, my child. Now is a time to err on the side of caution. Does it mean anything, your eminence? My child, dream analysis is an art more than a science. Your dream could mean any of a million and one things, or it could just be a dream. Maid Redmore was wise to bring it to our attention, but you needn't worry your little heart about it any further. Gwen, would you please wait for me outside? As you wish, my lady. Your Eminence, I understand if you don't want to worry the serving girl, but is there anything I should be worried about? No, my child. Have a 
cup of brandied tea and try to sleep. I don't mean to presume or to question your wisdom, your eminence, but if you mean to spare me worry on account of my sex, I assure you it will worry me more to not know whether my brother is in any danger. As if summoned by the speaking of his name, Ardell appeared at the door to the tabernacle and strode in. There you are. I awoke in the night with a peculiar feeling and was worried when you weren't in your chambers. Are you well? Yes, brother. My handmaiden had a nightmare and insisted upon seeing the bishop. Yes, I know how superstitious commoners can get. Under the circumstances. Yes, of course, as long as you're all right. Lord Redmore, I wasn't going to call on you at this hour, but as long as you're awake and here, perhaps I could have a word. Of course, your eminence. Arlene, run off to bed now, my dear. Come, let us walk. Ardell Redmore was well aware of the pace of the head priest's talking, and of his walking, for that matter. He hid his impatience well, however, and took the old man's hand. Meanwhile, Arlene found Gwen waiting in the hallway outside the shrine. I'm sorry, milady. I didn't know how to warn you. As far as he knows, I was just doing as he told. Did the bishop reveal anything? No, my brother came in before I could ask him much. First made Corlin's dream, and then this story. Do you know anyone who could discreetly fetch us some things from the royal library? The moon and aurora had risen over the Briarhelm farm. Yellowin stood guard at the barnyard door, rhythmically sharpening his hunting knife. Within the barn lay a neat row of bales of hay, the only mattresses available for the barn's guests. Nias slept soundly atop the first bale. Nelson likewise slept on the second. His armor and weapons were, of course, neatly folded and arranged by his side. The remaining bales, however, were unoccupied. There was a ladder up to the second floor of the barn, which Jen and Billy had ascended in hopes of finding some privacy. As Jen kissed Billy, he in his small clothes, and she in her recently purchased armor, she became very aware of his well-formed muscles. When Billy reached down and unfastened a single strap on Jen's waist, the entire lower part of her attire slid free. Billy. Free advice. What the fuck is your problem? Regan emerged from the shadows of the barn and casually strode into the dim light, trimming her fingernails with her knife. If he can fuck you after undoing one strap, you're not wearing armor. I got you something. Regan sheathed her knife and then kicked a large bundle of cloth across the floor towards Jen. Jen stared at it suspiciously. Regan nudged it closer to Jen and nodded. Jen opened the package to find a suit of heavy leather armor studded with steel bands. The armor clearly was designed to cover all of a woman's vital organs, not just the ones that teenage boys considered vital. The design should keep you mobile, except, you know, also actually protect you. You got me armor? Piece it together best I could. You want an actual smith to toughen up those rivets first chance you get, but it'll do you a lot more good than the shit you've been wearing. Hey, she likes the- I'm talking to her. Why do you care about my clothes? For starters, our fates, unfortunately, seem to be intertwined for the time being. 
So I'd much rather you dress like a fighter than a dead meat sausage in a whore casing. Jesus! Are you always this flattering? And rule number three for surviving a fight to the death? Settle your debts before the fight starts. People do stupid things when they think you owe them something. Excuse me? We're even now, right? You said you would, quote, fucking gut me like dinner, and now you give me some clothes and we're supposed to be even? I didn't draw blood. But you would have! I would do what everyone does, which is anything I fucking need to to survive. Well, then you can understand- I'm sorry, I thought I was talking to a woman, not a little girl. My mistake. Without waiting for a response, Regan turned and descended the ladder, leaving the two children alone. Jen stood wordlessly for a moment, staring uncomprehendingly at the rogue's gift. Quite some time had passed at Castle Guernatal, meaning Ardell's conversation with the head priest had only just begun. What do you think this dream means? Divining the meaning of a dream is not like, say, mixing a potion. The purposes of the elements can vary depending on the circumstances. You've said as much, but surely you consider some possible meanings more likely than others? The head priest suddenly stopped walking and stared off into the empty space in front of him for a long moment. Ardell waited, slightly concerned that the ancient man may have suffered a stroke mid-conversation. Eventually, however... Ah, yes, that did it. Did what, your eminence? I find that walks can be very helpful in evacuating the bowels. Don't you? Beg your pardon? Helpful for evacuating the bowels, I say. Would you be so kind as to accompany me to the privy, Lord Redmore? I would think one of your subordinates would... No, no. As you said yourself, Privacy is vital. Well, surely it can wait no, until... your sister spoke the truth. These are not times for taking things lightly. Five minutes later... <coughs> you will forgive this particular wood sprite for enjoying the repulsion and discomfort evident on Ardell's face as he stood beside the old man and his gilded chamber pot. Oh, the research I could do if I weren't always carrying out some ritual or another to keep my bowels moving. Uh, truly, regular bowel movements are wasted on the young. No offence, Lord Redmore. You were saying, Your Eminence, about the dream? Ah, uh, yes. Until I can speak with more certainty, I would not alarm anyone with... ...hasty, irresponsible prophesying. Your Eminence, the Silval classes are prone to three things. Superstition, gossip, and panic. If one has a nightmare, they'll start to talk soon enough, and then we'll have to prevent a panic. But if I know in advance what the rumors are likely to be, we can better prepare to maintain control of the situation. I see your point, Lord Redmore. I must once again stress 
that this should not be taken as my official reading of the young girl's dream, but if I had to essay as to how it might likely be read, it could lead some to think the king is a traitor. Despite his discomfort, Ardell managed to make a passable feint at shock. Inwardly, however, he couldn't be more pleased. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Perry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading 